If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode of Remap Radio. Uh, we have been uh, really lucky to have a lot of folks come through back at Waypoint and now here at Remap. Uh, you know I love doing interviews. I love uh, talking to folks in, in and around the games industry and to have an opportunity to continue doing that here at Remap uh, has been uh, great. And I am excited uh, to be joined uh, not only by my colleague Rob Zachney. Rob, hi. Hello, hello. Uh, but also the founder and CEO of Ascendant Studios, the game director of Immortals of Avium, uh, a former creative director across several Call of Duty games, although, I mean, most notably, perhaps Dead Space 2008, which you might have seen Rob and I play the uh, the remake and the original game side by side over a course of uh, many Twitch streams. But, Brett, I mean, there are so many things that we could talk about, but I, I really don't know how we could start uh, anywhere but your work as a designer on uh, Gex, Enter the Gecko. I mean, I feel like it all starts there. So how does where we get today begin with your work on Gex? <laughs> um, that's funny. I Well, first off, good to talk to you guys. I appreciate you having me. Um, yeah, Gex to Enter the Gecko. That was my first design job. I was a level junior level designer. And uh, it was for PlayStation 1, which dates me quite a bit. And uh, it, yeah, it, it was a great job, actually. Crystal Dynamics back then was a crazy place. It was, um, you know, kind of the inmates were running the asylum. Uh, we were all kind of, you know, young, crazy game makers. And, uh, and it, was, it was just a really fun game to make. Um, actually, a lot of that Gex team went on to found uh, Naughty Dog. And so if you look at the credits of Gex 2, you see, you know, guys like Evan Wells and uh, Bruce Draley and a, a lot of other names that are now, you know, very, very familiar to everyone. Um, but those are all my my buddies working on that game. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. So then, you know, I, I did um, uh, a few games at Crystal and then I went to EA and did a few games there. Uh, Return of the King and From Russia with Love. And then, uh, yeah, like you said, Dead Space. Uh, pretty. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were fortunate to, to be able to talk with you uh, last year, which feels like 
a lifetime ago. Um, yeah. I'm sure for you as well as for you launched a game. We lost our jobs. You know, lots of things happened <laughs> last year for 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 many of us. But I guess in the big picture, now that we're you know six ish months out from the launch of Immortals, uh, a lot's happened to you, to the studio, to uh, the games industry. Like, how do you feel about how that period went for the launch of the game? Now that you have a little bit of hindsight, yeah, it was uh, it was a roller coaster, and um, I've never been through a launch like that. Um, you know, I've worked on a lot of big games, a lot of known franchises. Um, you know, launching a new IP is hard, and I didn't realize how hard it was. Um, you know, this has been a crazy year. The it's a kind of a murderer's row of games that came out right when we came out and um, and we got totally lost, I think, in in, in that market timing. Um, we had Baldur's Gate 3 come out right before us. We had Starfield come out right after us. And when you're a new IP from a new studio that no one had ever heard of, like cutting through that noise, trying to get that awareness built was super hard. Um so yeah, it, it was it was rough. It was a rough launch. We didn't sell the way we wanted to sell, um, but the game, you know, the game was reviewed well, and it, and it and you know, hopefully, you guys felt this way when you played it. But like, it's a good game. It's like it's a it's a solid game. Um, I think um, and I think there's some things about it that are great. So, you know, we are uh, these things. They kind of have a life of their own when they when they leave. Uh, when you know they leave your hands, and um, I saw this happen with Dead Space. Dead Space didn't sell that well at first; kind of grew some momentum over time. Um, I think Immortals could be one of those games people keep talking about or keep discovering over time um, because it was, you know, it's it's a passion project, it's, and you just don't get a lot of those, especially at that budget level um, anymore. So I'm, um, you know, and I I love the game. I'm I'm very proud of it. So I am, I'm curious, uh, is the reception of a game like this a surprise to you before you like at the time you launch, or is it a situation where there's creeping suspicion about how launch is going to go and, and just where, where you're at in terms of, uh, like the game's marketing, how audiences are sort of primed or not primed to, to, uh, like accept it. I'm, I'm just curious, like, did you kind of already have a feeling it was going to play out the way it did or is it always kind of a surprise uh, what happens on launch day and after? Um, it, it was a surprise. Um, I think we knew that awareness for the game was fairly low because we had some metrics around that, that we were tracking. Uh, it's on the marketing side and, uh, and it, you know, quite honestly, I think awareness is still kind of low. I think, some people are still discovering, oh, this there was a game called Immortals of Avium. So, <laughs> uh, you know, which is unfortunate, but uh, it's true. So we knew that and we knew that the landscape was a minefield with, you know, what was happening with Baldur's Gate, with Armored Core at the same week as us, with Starfield the next week, all that kind of stuff. Those things we knew, but, you know, hope springs eternal and you, you know, we figured, well, you know, we still got a good shot at this. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there, there was definitely a surprise on the critical side. 
that was also a surprise to me because I don't know, you know, if you look at the, like the critical reception to the game, like we got tens and we got fours and I've almost never seen that before. <laughs> I think, you know, again, it's kind of, to me, this comes back to what it means to launch a new IP. People didn't know what to expect coming into the game and you can very easily get the, I guess, you know, quite honestly, you get the wrong people or not the wrong people, but people that aren't going to be, you know, amenable to the game reviewing it. Um, and I never had that on something like Call of Duty. Like Call of Duty, we would have, we would be within a certain range. Um, I think because reviewers knew what to expect. They knew, oh, it's a Call of Duty. Okay, you know, yeah, I don't like this about it, but I, I knew that was happening. Oh, they did this kind of well. You know, you're kind of within a certain range. We were all over the map. And I think you just got people coming in going like, what is this game? This isn't what I expected at all. And other people going like, oh my God, I love this game. This is this is exactly what I, why don't they make more of these type of games? So yeah, it, very, very bizarre. Um, and, uh, and it also kind of shows where Metacritic has come over time. It's changed quite a bit, I think, or just review scores in general have changed uh, while, you know, over the time that I've been making games. Um, so yeah, it, you know, I guess the good news is user scores are really high. People are, you know, people that actually play the game and discover it really like it. We did this free trial where you could, you know, play a couple hours and then, and then, you know, buy the game if you like it. And our conversion rate on that is super high, way higher than what EA is used to seeing. Um, so, you know, there are good, really good things. I think pe when people play it, um, by and large, they tend to like it. What is some of the difference on, you know, kind of building a Rob's question, on the awareness you have going into a launch? Obviously, I'm sure the kind of metrics you have going into, you know, like a game like Dead Space, way different than the metrics you have going into a game like Immortals. But, like, what is that? Like, what were those two kind of launches like for you in terms of what your expectations were or even like what expectations from, I don't know, like market, like, and I'm sure I'm, some level of marketing can kind of give you a sense. Here's what we kind of think is going to happen. And like, just what is that different level of awareness? What are you tracking differently? Like over the course of these, essentially like different decades in which these games both launched. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, on dead space, I wasn't nearly as in touch with um, the marketing. Uh, I was sort of, you know, a little bit removed from that. Um, and I, I do remember that, EA at the time, um, they actually kind of cut our marketing a bit and didn't, they, they weren't sure about Dead Space at all at the time. Um, we were coming out right at the same time as another game, Mirror's Edge, mm -hmm. and they, um, they kind of doubled down on that more than Dead Space. In a weird way, I think it kind of helped us because we became a game that people discovered on their own and there was a huge sort of groundswell and like word of mouth of like, holy shit, do you, have you seen this game? This game's awesome. Um, so, you know, maybe they did us a favor in, in the long run. I, I, you know, I, so I knew at the time with Dead Space, there was uncertainty and like, uh, we don't know where this is going to land. Um, so in that way, it was similar to Immortals where we just, we didn't know. Um, we, you know, like I said, we, we hoped it would hit well. Um, but you, at the end of the day, you don't know until you launch what's actually going to happen. Um, there's so many factors, you know, at play. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Well, just to the point about reviews, uh, like I was actually struck by 
how odd the landscape has gotten to. Because I also eventually, like, I'd read a few reviews when it came out or read a few more to refresh myself. But then I went to Metacritic and to a degree, it kind of reflects, like, not to say that, like, a bunch of smaller, less well-known sites, like, have less valid opinions. But it's like, it used to be that, like, there were a, there were a lot of major outlets and they would all review a lot of games. So you'd have a broad sample size of like just in general how they're reacting to games. And that was a big part of the sample size that Metacritic reflects. And now when I scroll through Metacritic, it's like a handful of sites that I know have been reading for years. And then a lot of like smaller games blogs that are coming in reviewing this from a variety of ankle angles. But it's a it is a real mix just in terms of like the the sample size that Metacritic is drawing. I think also you're onto something when you say it's different from um, like Call of Duty. I feel like things in when it comes down to like review assignments, the advantage it can cut both ways. But the advantage of thing like Call of Duty has is if a series goes on long enough, editors just start farming it out to like, oh, we got a Call of Duty person that we're going to yeah. hand this to. You care about these games. Right. They're never going to let someone like me or Patrick at a Call of duty game because like we don't play enough of the series really to be abreast of how it's changing and in a weird way that ends up like predisposing the review one way or another like you have someone who's like i'm already invested in call of duty it can also mean you'll get someone who hates the changes to the formula like right. disproportionately but in general yes like a lot of franchises have this advantage where they're handed to reviewers who are already coming to it from the perspective of like they're pretty bought in i think your instinct about like avium being kind of thrown to whoever and that doesn't mean like people who shouldn't have reviewed it but it means that i know these things are handed out right you're just going through who is available to review this do you play shooters and that's a really broad question and then you start getting a lot of reactions from people who just don't have any expectations shaped and a lot of the reviews the negative reviews i found were like they seem to be about the tone of the game. Uh, yeah. That seemed to be the big sticking point. And I kind of liked it, but that's just the ultimate subjective thing, right? Where in general, the thing that seems pretty consistent is people dug the combat overall. Like, hey, uh, the, you know, the three magic system, the way combat works, that's that's all pretty neat. The part that seemed really divisive was just like the tone and tenor of the game. Yep. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, getting back to what you're saying about, you know, reviewer assignments, um, hundred percent, you're not going to get, you know, a driving game comes out. You're not going to hand it to someone who doesn't like driving games or, you know, I think we saw this happen quite a bit and these are amazing games, but like with the FromSoft games, like someone like Elden Ring getting a 97, like I love Elden Ring. I'm a huge fan, but that is a polarizing experience for a lot of peer people. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was like, raise your hand if you want to, you know, review a FromSoft game, you know, because it's a certain type of gamer that's going to, you know, jump in on that and love what they're doing. Um, you need a little bit of background and experience there. So, yeah, when you have a new IP, something no one's heard of, and, and maybe a somewhat confused marketing campaign where you're like, okay, is this Call of Duty with magic? Is this God of War? Like, what is, you know, is it Doom? Like, what is this game? You're not going to get that that consensus on it, you know, I had a question about that. Cause I remember Patrick early on, we first started talking about this in the wake of, um, 
God, we, we were talking about this in the Waypoint days, right? Like, we, like I think mm-hmm. it might have been E3 or whatever the equivalent was uh, like two years ago. Uh, but like this game came up and I remember either you framed it th- this way or when I looked up, I came across this idea that it was like Wizard Call of Duty. And that sort of stuck in my head. Yeah. And which never sounded like the most appetizing thing in the world to me uh, <laughs> because I like shooters. But I think for a lot of reasons, I fell off Call of Duty campaigns uh, mm-hmm. and Actually, I think playing Avium clarified for me what it is that I am missing in shooters like that. But we'll we'll come to that. Uh, but I was sort of struck by the degree to which, after playing Avium, Wizard Call of Duty didn't quite fit. I was kind of surprised the degree to which, like, oh, that's just not that's not yeah. really what's going on here. Uh, yeah. But it was a thing that I'd heard a lot in the year before the game came out. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I I think that that uh was a misfire in my opinion because where, where does that come from though like i'm, I'm just, from the stand like i'm not asking you like what marketer yeah. do we need to throw under the bus let's find that guy <laughs> but i am curious like that idea originates from somewhere and i'm sure. curious like in from your view when does that start bubbling out as a thing that ends up being some of the messaging around the game well you know whenever you're talking about a new IP, any game really, you're using an elevator pitch a lot of times. And you're just kind of, you're using a shorthand for how to describe it. And you're describing it to people, all sorts of people that don't you know necessarily know about what you're doing. So, so like Call of Duty Magic or Fantasy Call of Duty or things like that, it's just a nice shorthand to use to kind of go, oh, okay, I'm shooting. It's a first person shooter, but it's magic instead of guns. So I think it was like kind of a term used quite a, you know, kind of around the studio and around, you know, and just to describe the game to some degree. And then it kind of seeped into the marketing to, to a certain degree. Obviously the fact that I spent nine years and, you know, shipped three Call of Duty titles as a creative director lent itself to making that comparison to some degree. Um, But, you know, early on in, interviews and things, I was quick to point out, like, we're not actually like, we're not Call of Duty. Like, we're not, we're not trying to make a fantasy Call of Duty. We're actually something else. And, you know, nowadays, now when I look at it, I almost think it's like, you know, Doom Eternal and God of War had a baby and, and Immortals came out, you know, it's like, we're, we're kind of like this arena shooter, fast paced, crazy action, but we also have Metroidvania exploration and puzzles and world building and things like that. So, but I mean, that's, again, that's part of being a new, I making a new IP is like, you're, you're discovering that as you're making the game. I didn't really have a strong template for what the game was going to be five years ago when I started it. I was, you know, I knew I wanted to do a first person shooter and I knew I wanted to do magic, but like what the game ultimately ended up being was a discovery over five years. And we, um, and it changed, it changed over time and it shifted and, and, you know, moved and everything. Something like Dead Space, I had a much clearer idea. Um, I, you know, Dead Space was Resident Evil 4 in space. And we had a very strong template for what, you know, I had a very strong template for what I wanted to do design-wise. Um, Immortals wasn't like that. Immortals was like, okay, we're going to take a piece of this, a piece of that. We're going to change this. We're going to, like, you know, do some heavy experimentation on tone for a fantasy game. You brought up tone earlier like that was a huge risk that we took um and you know 
we're going to take all these pieces and put them in a blender and see what happens. Um, so yeah, using something like Call of Duty Magic is a good shorthand maybe to start with, but then really where we evolved to, I feel like we should have targeted more and we, and we still are like action adventure and, you know, people that like fantasy and people like, like a, a big action game. It doesn't have to be a shooter. It doesn't have to be guns. It doesn't have to be Call of Duty. It's, I think a little bit broader than that. Because of the sheer sort of length that it takes to make, you know, you mentioned this is a game that you discovered over the course of five years, but naturally, eventually things have to start calcifying into place because you need to ship the thing and you need to start figuring out what is this where because of the very nature, scope, budget, length of time to make games of this scope these days, is that discovery process harder? Because at a certain point you have to just be happy with what you have, as opposed to this is, this is the thing that it was always going to be, but at some point it has to be, well, this is the thing it is so that we can hand this off to an art team and to a production team. And, and, you know, every piece of art game or otherwise is an incomplete, you know, it, you know, you get as far as you can put it into the world and maybe you're blessed with making a sequel or something else where you can iterate. But I do wonder if, like your process in discovering that is itself reflective of a lot of the problems with AAA game development these days, which is just it's super expensive. It takes forever and thus ends up making sort of the risk taking process a challenge because uh, just of the sheer scope of everything. Uh, it does. Um, you, you know, I've done AAA pretty much my whole career <clears throat> and um, you are you tend to be pretty risk adverse and pretty, um, you know, it, it does put a, a clamp down on experimentation and going, you know, down certain roads for too long because ultimately you're burning a lot of money, you've got a lot of people working on this and you need to, you know, you need to go with things that you know are going to work. And, um, and I think that it does hurt, it does hurt AAA games. I think, the arms race of costs, it's only, it's only growing. It's only making things harder. It's only making th uh, publishers and investors more risk adverse because of the costs involved. Um, and, and that it's a bummer. I mean, I think, you know, you, we, we were a small scrappy team for a long time and we put together a prototype that was um, really really strong with a small team and that was great. what's what's small because I, I just to give people the yeah. scale like the scale like what is small for a game that eventually becomes sort of like you know a tentpole triple a game like what is how many people is small for the first two years we were about 40 people okay and, and that first i mean when i started the company we were one it was just me I, it, <laughs> right. the, it wasn't a case of me like hey i i got you know 20 people that I'm pulling from a company or that I'm friends with. And suddenly we're making a, a, a studio. I, it was just me. So the first year it was like, it was one, then it was four, then it was 10, then it was 20. Um, and by the time we finished the second year, we were maybe at 40 or 45. And, and around then we had gotten to a prototype that was awesome. That was like, okay, this is the combat. This is like, this is how the game's going to feel. And, uh, and we can build a game. That's the foundation. We can build a game around that. Um, so yeah, but that's you know forty people, but that'll, you know that's a that's a few million in when you you know um, to get to get there. But it's not it's not fifty million in. It's not you know forty million. So 
I think the longer you can stay in that mode and get that experimentation and you know fail fast and you know take risks and do all those things you you know you're supposed to do, the longer you can stay in that before the sort of production machine comes in and you need all the people to make it into something huge and beautiful, um, you know, the better. Uh, and we were fortunate in that I could do that for a while. Like um, a lot of games I've worked on, you know, you start day one with a big team because you just rolled off of a game. You got all, you know, it's like, shit, you got to make decisions real fast and get, and <laughs> you get going. People, <laughs> people something to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You got to, you know, we call it, we call it feeding the beast. You got to feed the beast quickly, you know? Um, and that can hurt you design wise. And I think every big publisher and every big franchise that we look at, they deal with that. You know, they have to, I, I know I, I made those games. You deal with like, okay, we're not, you know, we're, we're incrementing 10, 20%. We're not, we're not getting too crazy or adventurous with the game design. Um, unless like, you know, they're really at a point where they're rebooting or doing something drastic, but man, you know, you, you, it's so risky. It's so risky to do that kind of shit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we took our time with just getting the core down. And then once that was there, like we really made, like we really made immortals in basically, I would say two years, like all the content that you see, all the cinematics, all the, the levels, the, you know, the gear, the, all the, all the stuff that's in it was two, two and a half years, maybe. Once we gotten that foundation figured out, which feels pretty short relative it's short. to the turnaround time that you know I think your average God of War or you know kind of the Sony scale sort of like story driven stuff is those are not two two and a half years those are those are true you know four five year productions yeah um, yeah I mean on Call, on Call of Duty we you know it'd be three years on the ones I made at least for three years mm-hmm. and you had a team of 150, 200 day one. So you're, you're going, you know, and it's like three years of, of solid development. Um, we, you know, we, we did this pretty quickly uh, and we were still hiring during it. Oh, and there was a pandemic too. So. <laughs> <laughs> and were, were you, were you remote, uh, all, like remote first or did you remote adapt as we, the, the, as COVID set in? We remote adapted. We were mm-hmm. absolutely local. Everyone was in an office on, you know, March 2020, we were all in an office. In April 2020, we we're all at home. <laughs> and then we. How, were, how did that shift throughout the course of of finishing the game? Did that kind uh, of fu- like fundamentally alter the studio and the production along along the way? 100. percent Yeah. No, we did. Uh, you know, it was completely hiring remote. Um, we hired very few local at that point. We grew from you know 40 to 115 or whatever our, our peak internal was. And, uh, yeah, that, that, it was all, and it, it was all these, you know, learning how to make a game remotely. I'd never done it before. Uh, so, you know, really leveraging, you know, software and certain, you know, certain types of, um, practices and processes that, that we needed to survive to even figure out how to do it. So there was a lot of, um, making it up as we went along. Uh, did, did you like making it remotely? Like what was different about that process? Like how did you arrive at feeling good about the day to day as you were figuring that part out? There's things I like, and we're still remote. So there's things I like about it. Um, I'm, what I find is I'm able to, um, because of Slack and because I'm kind of, you know, more, uh, dialed into 
all the conversations that are happening on a daily basis, I'm able to kind of see a, a broader amount of the game as a game director than I, mm. than I did when we were all local, because I would, I'd be in a meeting room and that meeting room's about a single topic and I'm sitting there talking about it for an hour, an hour and a half. Well, I've got, you know, 15 things going on in Slack and I'm touching and all and able to see all of them. There's, you know, what is this a different way of thinking? And that helps me to, you know, in, in terms of coordination and direction. Um, what I didn't like about it was finaling the game. Finaling the game remotely sucked. And I think there's something about being together, having all the leads in the same room, playing the game together, hours and hours and hours, talking about it, prioritizing. Like I've closed every single game that way. We usually have what we call like a, a war room or something where, you know, a bunch of us are sitting there just like really hammering on it um, for the last, you know, four or six months. And having to do that remotely was not great. Um, I missed- Did you try and create like a war room a- equivalent like were you even able to like okay so it was was a slack channel that everyone was just broadcasting their playthroughs like how how did you try and recapture that atmosphere then it was exactly that you know i think (laughs) i think we're yeah we were doing um i can't remember if it was discord or or twitch because they they stream well but we were just yeah we're just playing streaming together talking but still something's lost not being together um it's just yeah it's an intangible thing that um that I think, I think, you know, it, it's hard. I think I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'm not the only game director, you know, that feels this way about trying to close a game these days. It's, it's, it's different, but you know, it's also something we can get better at and, and figure out. It's not insurmountable. It's just different. It's, di- you know, I've been doing this 27 years. It was the first time I really had to do that. So it was kind of crazy. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What (laughs) changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar or you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners, Rob here. You know, 
the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week. And then I'd trawl through the grocery stores, making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. You know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget, and unfortunately my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's right, That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. I'm curious, just in terms of, we're talking about like staff and budgets. Um, to what degree is, we're talking like burn rate. What are the meaningful costs beyond headcount at this point for, for a studio like yours? Like how big a burden is the office space to carry, the physical and electronic infrastructure that you've got to carry? Like, I'm just curious to what degree is burn rate basically just, we're talking about headcount and to what degree is it, things like leases and infrastructure and licenses, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it depends on what you're doing. If you're um, like things like office space and server costs and software costs, that that's all real. Like that's, there's some real money there. Um, it's, you know, I think if you're like the server costs can get pretty high, especially if you're doing multiplayer or something. Um Mostly, it's the it's the people. Most of your burn rates, the, the you know, the people, the, the devs, the people that are working on the game. Um, there, you know, I don't know what the percentage is. That depends on on the size and, and your scale and everything. Um, you know, we have an office. We pay rent on an office. Uh, we have you know lots of software licenses we have to pay for. We have you know um, services we pay for and and all that and you know, servers and things. Um, but yeah, largely the burn rate is people, um, as it should be like, that's, that's kind of why, where you want to spend your money is on, you know, great developers. But like, then when we talk about the, the sort of 40 person team, that's kind of the core, like figuring out what the next thing is. And it also kind of points to not to say that this is why all these layoffs are happening. That we're seeing across the industry, but like, uh, in general, we're talking about the sort of recurring endemic layoffs we, we see to to the industry. It seems like there's a real tension between like the staff you need to finish a game versus like the staff you need to get a project teed up for the the full production. And like, you know, obviously, you know, if there's a world where Immortals of Avium is the the hit of 2023 and er, er, everything's golden maybe you have the runway to like 
you know, retain all those people and then have that like skunk works team or whatever go forward. But it does seem like there's inherent tension between the, you know, dozens of people you really need to figure out what a game is and what direction it's going. And then the hundreds you need to deliver a triple A game. Yeah. It's, it's sort of in the nature of the beast is that you've, yeah, you need a lot of people to finish. You don't need a lot of people to start. You, you, you know, every project I've been on has had that sort of push and pull and sort of a little bit of an accordion. If yeah. you're in a big company with multiple games, you tend to go, okay, well now work on this game for a while. And, you know, you can move people around and do things like that. Um, you know, for us, we have one game and, and it didn't, it didn't sell. So it's like, okay, there, there's only, you know, really one thing we could do at that point. Unfortunately it was layoffs, uh, which really sucked. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like you said, like, yeah, if the game had been a hit, we wouldn't obviously would not have had to do that. Well, but what we're- I'm curious, like, would you, would you have been spared that? Because I think the other thing that happened is the investment, like landscape also changed a lot. Like even if this had been a success, most people were modest, say it had been a, a decent success, but not, you know, game of the year, whatever. Right. But, you know, you would have still then as an independent studio, it's not like you can just go, you know, it's not like you can go and say like, okay, what, what EA project can we support develop here? Uh, you know, to, to keep the, to keep the wheels turning, even this has been a success, you would have still needed to go back into pitch mode, right. To like conceive and sell the next project. Like, do you think there's any, like, it sort of seems like in a, in a situation like that layoffs are inevitable. the, size of them is determined by how well the project does, but it, it does seem like it's a really difficult thing to avoid just given that reality, especially for an independent studio where in this market, you got to go be a pitch man again. Yeah. And it's a rough market to do that in right now as, as we see, uh, as we've all seen. Um, yeah. I mean, sure. We might've been in that position. Um, anyway, uh, I think, you know, it helps to have as much runway as possible when you're doing these kind of deals. Um, I think, you know, I'm not a financial expert or business expert by any stretch of imagination, but, you know, I think the, the obvious trends we're seeing are, we had a huge amount of investment coming in during COVID COVID changed, you know, everything changed player patterns, it changed engagement and, um, and a lot of money came in and then that, um, you know, that money kind of went away with COVID going away and people went back to normal patterns and behaviors and uh, that investment, you know, a, a glut of investment started not to pay off for people. And then at the same time, you get the interest rates going up and suddenly money isn't moving nearly as much. And it's, it's suddenly hard to, you know, to get funding for anything. And those two things, you know, you get, that collision of those two things, um, people have to uh, reduce costs, and it's it, you know it sucks, and we see it every single day right now. Um, and there might be other factors at play as well, but those those seem like the big ones. Is you know cost of money and and a, a complete like a radical change in player behavior and in investment over the last three years. Um, so yeah, it's a rough, it, it's definitely a rough environment, but you know, 
in my opinion, games are still absolutely where people should invest in because uh, it's growing. People are playing, you know, people aren't not playing, you know, and this is one of the biggest years ever for games, especially AAA. It's like 2023 was incredible. So it's a little schizophrenic when you're thinking of how successful those games are. And then you see layoffs every single day. Um, But I think one is trailing the other and, you know, we'll get out of it. You know, may not be right away, but we'll get out of it. The industry will, but yeah, yeah, like it's, it's the sort of, you know, people caught in the, caught in the churn. But when when you have that, you know, we talk about that aspect of it, you know, I assume you knew pretty fast after launch that this was not breaking your way, uh, that this was not going to, this was not going to uh, live up to expectations. I'm curious, is that a moment like in your heart, like, do you know at that point, like layoffs are inevitable or is there a period where you're not making that call and you're trying to like see things play out and, and see if things turn. I knew pretty quickly it was inevitable, like like after launch, pretty quickly after launch that it was, okay, we have a problem. We're going to have to do something about this. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, and, and once you realize that it, I think it's, it's better just to move fast and just kind of do it and, and not have a lot of people worried and, and waiting and wondering. It's more just like, okay, look, here's the situation. Here's what we have to do. Um, you know, it was, you know, it, and, you know, I think we're painting a, a fairly grim picture. I, I, I do want to add that like Immortals has actually been selling really well in December and things, <laughs> things <Yeah>. are not <laughs> it's a complete disaster. So it's worth, it's worth mentioning that. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it, it was, it was a rough time. Um, and certainly the first time in my life, you know, I, I'd always been uh, a creative director and, you know, worked for big companies and things like that. It's the first time I really had to be the guy doing the layoffs. So not, not a fun time. Uh, one moment I was, I was interested in returning to was, uh, you know, the, the kind of uh-oh moment for me in, in the game was when you understood, you took the delay from July to August, mm-hmm. just in terms of, you know, you mentioned at the top, the kinds of games that you got <laughs> kind of sandwiched by, by the time you, you came out at the, at the end of the summer. And it's, you know, I remember seeing that and going, well, these games are brutal towards the end of mm-hmm. like, it'd be very natural to take that extra time. Lots of games don't take that extra time or there's a day one or day one ish, you know, patch that essentially becomes that like six to eight weeks of extra runway in order to to get that extra layer of polish and get the game out the door. So I have to imagine you knew on some level that shifting from late July where there was there was a lot going on all the time last year, but certainly late July was different than late August and how you arrived at realizing this is necessary for the game, even if it puts us in a more compromised release position. Yeah, that, that decision was 100% around quality. So this is our first game as a new studio. This is, you know, like you get one shot to make a, a great first impression um, it, you know, that was an extra month of bug fixing, optimization, making the game better. And that, 
was actually huge. It, it was, it was, you know, at the time, hundred percent, the right thing to do because the game's better for it. And I would rather have, I took the risk of, you know, releasing a more broken game during a, a more amenable window versus a better game in a harder window. And, you know, I don't know what the right, you know, it, hindsight, who knows? Um, I do know that like at the end of the day, as a studio, we're going to, we're going to hang our hat on quality and want, and want to create, you know, the best experience we can for players. That was super important to me, more important than trying to read the tea leaves around a, a launch window. You know, it's just it, that really hard to do. Um, what was in my control and in, 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 in hand was making a better game so that, you know, that's, it was almost an easy decision for that. Did you, because of the relationship you had as like an EA original as opposed to an EA published game, you know, often delays are publisher mandated, like for, for you know, like or a negotiation with them. Was that something that you were actually able to make? the call on due to the different kind of relationship you had. Whereas a, I can imagine a different scenario where, Hey, sh- ship, the, ship the damn game and you find a way to ship it in July. But it's, it, it, I'm sort of picking up on that. Like this was something you actually got to make the call on rather than, you know, somebody at a, a you know, executive publisher saying, get it out the door. The numbers are more important. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we had a good relationship with EA and, you know, their uh, production team and everything. We talked every day and um, this was a mutual decision. I mean, they, they certainly wanted the game to be higher, you know, as high quality as, as it could be. We had that conversation, like, is it higher quality and worse window, lower quality, better window, you know, like we were, they were on board with that. Um, It certainly wasn't a case of them mandating anything, Um, you know, worth, worth mentioning or, or, repeating that, you know, we funded Immortals. This is not an EA game. This is an Ascendant right. game and everything. So ultimately the decision was ours. Um, but it, you know, um, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of friction there. There wasn't a lot of like, what are you doing? You know, kind of thing. It was like, no, they, they, they advised that we saw it. I saw it as like, okay, that's, you know, that's better for the game ultimately. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that quality mattered. You know, we have an average user score of 80 right now. We have, you know, we got eight, eights and nines from big outlets. We got eight and eight from IGN. Um, we have a lot of, you know, publishers and industry partners that want to work with us now. Like it, all of that is about, you know, ensuring or, or trying our best to make sure that Ascendant had a, a great first showing. And, you know, and showed that like, well, we can make quality games. And that that was super important, maybe more important than what was happening exactly in 2023. That seems that seems super unforgiving because I think the delay seems like it made all the sense in the world. And the game does run great like it, uh, a game like that, especially uh, going to live and die by how smooth it is uh, and just in terms of how it feels. And I'm consistently sort of surprised at how how fast, how nimble uh, the, the the entire thing feels. But I'm also sitting here being like, 
man, if this would come out in January, I think a lot of people would be talking about Immortals of, <laughs> of Avium. Which is what Rob which is what Rob and I ended up doing, which was like it became like, you know, an ongoing bit. It was like I really liked those couple hours. I was I mean, I was really impressed out of the gate when I played it at Summer Games Fest. Um, you know, yeah. I thought, you know, I was a huge fan of the the Doom reboot um yeah. from from years back and I was like, there's, you know, I was getting, I was like, I'm picking up on Doom vibes uh, from from this game, almost purely based on the speed, right? Like, it's just so different to play a game in which the player character moves that fast. Like, I, I, you know, we're all used to that having played games, for, you know, shooters from the 90s in which your default speed was the speed of a Ferrari. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Halo comes around and essentially moves us all into a, a tank mode. And then different games have kind of just, are you how much faster are you are than than Halo and so that game stuck out to me originally just based on on its speed alone and then yeah like i started playing it over the holidays and then and message rob i was like hey like it was not a bit you know like i'm i'm, I'm choosing to spend you know 16 to 20 hours of my holiday time playing through through this game uh cuz i i was having a, a really great time with it that that's awesome um i i by the way i'd love to talk about some of the game with you guys oh for sure you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which would be awesome um but yeah i mean it it uh you know hindsight's 2020 and i think january would have been awesome uh, all things considered now you have financial considerations you know it takes money to get from august to january and you know quite a bit of money when you have a big team so you can't just put your entire studio and like suspended animation exactly like, waiting for the yeah uh, yeah, waiting for the perfect time. That's, you know, that's the friction. And, and that, you know, that's the, and that ultimately is, is the decision is like, well, what's better, you know, a better window or, you know, are we going to spend this much money to get that better window? And is that worth it? And it's like, hard to say, hard to predict. Um, but what we did see, and we continue to see and exactly what you're saying is, looks really cool. When I have time, I want to play it looks really cool when it's on sale, I'm going to play it. And, um, you know, and now the game's on sale and, and sure enough, we've seen a huge uptick in sales because uh, of the price and that, and the price is interesting, you know, like there is an argument to be made that maybe we should come out at a lower price point. What's and it at right now? Cause I, I haven't followed this. I think we're half off. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're half off. And that, and that follows the trial that you, uh, that you did in the fall, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, we're half off. So um, that's- I mean, I mean, it's it's. I mean, I think it probably speaks to um, you know the broader you know, challenges. You you know, th- yes, last year was I think a particular glut of uh, COVID delayed games. A lot of them then finally arriving in 2023 and just this collision course. But it is probably also true. You know, we started this conversation talking a lot about reviews that just how to communicate with audience these days when they are overwhelmed by choice. I mean, I see this with my own kids, right? Where, yeah. you know, when they're on an iPad, it's like, it's not, oh, it's video game time. It's like, well, it could be Netflix time or Disney plus time or Roblox, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's just the, the glut of choice makes it, I think all the more challenging to figure out how you reach an audience. Cause I don't think it's as simple these days as get glow, re- glowing reviews, like have good trailers and then the game will sell well. It's just not it was never that simple. I'm oversimplifying like how games were successful, but yeah. there were elements of that in place that like played a part in a game being successful. That is that is less true these days. Hundred percent. I mean, there's so much noise out there. There's so many things you know competing for attention more so than ever before. 
and you've got, um, you know, there needs to be a certain stickiness where, you know, we, we spent good money on our marketing campaign. We got ads out there, but they're not going to stick unless there's something about it that really grabs you. Like if I, when you hear about a game coming out from a studio you love, like Naughty Dog or something, it sticks. It's just like, oh, I've got to remember that. That's what are they up to? That's cool, you know. And we were unknown. And so that makes the stickiness, I think, harder. Um, trying to vie for that attention is is super hard. You know, now we've built up some some attention. Now with things like the free trial, like the amount of people that are actually able to access and look at the game has grown a lot. And as soon as we went on sale, like our like our sales um, were five times more. You know, mm-hmm. like it like it was it was a huge amount of uh, uh, boost. And it's sort of like playing is believing once people actually get their hands on it and start to play, they go, Oh, wait a minute. Like this game's kind of awesome. Like, you know, what, uh, you know, how did I miss this one? So um, I'm hoping that continues for a long time. Well, you know, playing it, I can also see even in terms of, you know, we draw the doom comparison and I'm like, mm, that's not quite right either though, because yeah. doom doesn't require nearly as much uh, walking and chewing bubble gum as this game does where it's like uh, I have been sort of taken aback by how many times I've like sort of sitting there staring at the death screen being like, okay, I need to really cycle through the powers more effectively. I got to start. <laughs> I got to remember to use the lash and the, and, and the limpet. Uh, and like, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that in, in, in the combat where there, there's a lot of systems you're manipulating. There's a lot of resources you're, you're managing. Um, at a very high rate of speed, which makes it really engaging, really fun, but also means that, you know, one advantage that Doom always had, and I think this, you know, if you read reviews from when uh, Doom 2016 came out, right, because it's Doom, people are like, man, this is a return to classic run and gun action, and it's really not, like, new Doom is not really that much like old Doom, it's just a vibe, but that vibe communicates a lot. A game like this, I'm like struggling to be like, well, yeah, it is kind of like Doom. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Wolfenstein. There's a little bit of maybe some like Bioshock, yep. uh, but there's there's a lot of pieces to it, and it's one of those things where, you know, to, to your point, you do kind of have to get hands on with it to to feel it because it doesn't it doesn't film well. Right. I think it's a problem right. with a lot of, you know, every time I see, uh, you know, uh, game trailers and such at, you know, things like the game awards, anytime you're doing anything different, you run into a real problem of like, how do you explain why this thing might look like something else, but isn't going to feel like something else? And that seems, that seems really tricky. It, I mean, that's new IP, right? Yeah. Like that's like you're, you're doing something different and that immediately, makes things harder for people to understand for you to message when our first gameplay trailers came out, people didn't know what the hell they were looking at. You know, Oh, is it, you know, like it, you know, how does it play? There's a lot of, you know, special effects going off, like all this, you know, things that actually, when you play it, aren't that much of an issue, but they, they, you know, what they were seeing was they hadn't seen things like this before. And well, the game snapped into place for me when I finally played it. It's like I was I was right. when I, looking at the trailer, I was like, I think I can parse what's happening here. But there are some games 
It's a little easier for us because, you know, we've done this for a long time. I'm used to seeing trailers and the trickiness and conveying new ideas. Right. But I was, it was just why when I went to Summer Games Fest, I was like, all right, if, like it totally, everything about this game 100% makes sense to me now. And I can backtrack it to the trailers and even the challenges the trailers had having played it. And it's like, it's less complicated. I mean, it's more complicated in the way that Rob said, like, there's a lot of systems going on, but it's actually not that complicated once you've got it in front of you with the controller. And then it all kind of snaps into place and you know how you're kind of th- uh, f- uh, vibing through through the different areas. Right. Right. And, and it does take playing it to kind of get that. And, you know, we like, I wasn't really interested in making something that was a clone of something else. We tried to do some new things here and that, you know, that runs, you run a risk of people not understanding it, people having, you know, or weird messaging around it. Um, but ultimately like, right. That's more interesting. Like that's, that's more fun. Mm-hmm. I'd rather play something different, uh, once in a while. Um, and yeah, the uh, the combat and the feel of the game, I will say, has been like the overwhelming success of the game. And certainly, like even even the reviews that that you know bank you know ding the game for other things, they they would admit that that like it, the game's really fun to play and the combat's really fun. Um, you get into more polarizing waters when you talk about the writing and the the tone. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe some of the gear system and things like that, which, um, you know, certainly that to me is an interesting design discussion to have is, okay, what, what worked, why did it work? What didn't work? Um, that's what I enjoy talking about because, you know, it's the same discussion you'd be having. Like I have problems with the latest God of War and, you know, the no game's perfect, even, you know, even though it a game might sell 20 million units. There's still things to discuss and pick apart and say, why did they do this and this and that? And when I hear these discussions around Immortals, you know, the gear system was kind of funky and, you know, this or the, you know, the story, the, the writing was uneven or things like that. It's like, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, let's talk about, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. You know, every game has something about it that is, you know, uh, you're not going to totally agree on or, or people are going to have issues with. And that's, that's the fun part. That's like, okay, let's pick that apart and, and, and figure out what we can do better or, or why that didn't land or, you know, whatever it is. Um, like the, you know, the tone that was like, that was a completely deliberate aesthetic choice to go like, you know what, we're, we're going to make a Marvel movie. We're going to do something that you don't see in the fantasy genre that much. We're going to go for Guardians of the Galaxy or Thor Ragnarok or something like that. And man, that, you know, some people love it. Some people hate it. And it's, you know, I didn't realize it would be that much of a firebrand (laughs) kind of decision. (laughs) And I'm I'm one of the writers on it. Um, So that was certainly shocking, but then kind of understandable, you know, and it, it, I think that speaks to like, what we expect out of writing from a video game. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I like the writing in the game. So like, I'm somebody who like, I understand why people didn't like it though. Sometimes I find the way it's characterized a bit unfair. Um, I think more it's that if humor doesn't work for you, it's really annoying. But I think the thing that bums me out there is then the safe creative choice becomes making a lot of like solemn plotting, like taking yourself way too, way too seriously type game. Like if this had been another, like now this, all the shooting action is really awesome, 
but let's think about how sad this world is. Like, absolutely not. I think part of part of it is like the world gets in. It's like, yeah, we're having a good time. Sorry about all them kids at the start of the game. Now let's blow some shit up. And that all works for me. And I think the version of it that's a little bit more like it's a meditation on like lost innocence and which by the way it still has elements of that but i think the version of it <laughs> I mean, rob that's, there's a structure in the game that just adds the names of the dead as they die so <laughs> yeah uh but yeah so like it's it's one of those things where like i think the way people relate to humor helps me yeah. sort of understand why maybe the safer bet is to be like let's take ourselves pretty seriously and uh like pitch it at more like um yeah like various like solemn fantasy shows yeah. and movies well well the safe choice is to make a game where no one talks about the writing because you haven't made any kind of r- risky decision at all you haven't tried anything and there's a template out there for what a you know an average video game script kind of looks like and feels like especially in the fantasy genre and um you know not terribly interesting to me wanted to do something different wanted to try something um my you know lead writer and myself we have a a great relationship and we have a lot of fun writing together and we had a lot of fun writing this game and you know yeah our sense of humor may not land with everyone but um you know the game's not even really a comedy it has some humor in it but it's got some serious you know we, we meditate on some serious things as well. And again, maybe that's not what people um, are putting their money down for, but the people that like it really like it and really appreciate it. And that that's encouraging. That's that, you know, it's heartening to me to see that we connected with some people. Um, And, you know, I am make, I make games, I make games to connect with other people, you know, like that's, that's why I do what I do because games have connected with me throughout my life in a very strong way, uh, in a, in a very meaningful way. And I want to do the same. So when it does land, when it does connect, it's, it's a great feeling, you know, and that's what I was shooting for. You, you mentioned the, the gear system that was, I think where some of the concern from some people comes from is looking at, uh, some games that are coming out around this period that you could conceivably look at as, were they chasing sort of live service, trends from five-ish years ago, right? The the launch of a Destiny 2. Like, there's mm-hmm. plenty of games that we've looked at where they've run into some criticism as they head towards launch where the the live service model has uh, run out a little bit of steam, uh, both in terms of sort of energy from players and also from um, uh, sort of financially speaking. And so what went into deciding to make, like, this, this game, which does have a, a, a sort of progression system in terms of what you're unlocking – like sort of like subsets of your powers, but in terms of the weapons that you and kind of the specifics of it does have a, a gear system. How did you arrive at that being something you wanted to to add into the game? And and I presumably that must be something that my guess has changed uh, over the course of development. Yeah, um, a lot of the design decisions with Immortals was <laughs> me having the opportunity to make my own game and put everything in it that I really wanted to, to put in it. <laughs> and I really like chasing gear and I really like um, being able to customize my character and, and how to play in a game. Um, it was never going to be around microtransactions or games as a service or anything like that. And I, I really wasn't deliberately at least following a trend like that. I, I really wanted to make um, 
a game where you could you you'd want to find an awesome piece of gear that would that would be more powerful or or change how you play. And I I want and you know the combat team, my combat designers and I wanted to make a game where it you could create a build that was very different than another than another player. And whether or not you engage with it, like fine, you don't you know people don't have to actually chase that stuff. You can do you know have a, a lot of fun playing through. But there are builds in the game that are pretty crazy if you actually hunt and 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 put them together. And I like that as a player. I I play a lot of like Elden Ring, and I've done lots of different builds in that game. Um, you know, you can create in Immortals a game where you can like melee everything to death in a in a amazingly effective way that you know, and no one uses that. No one like just punches people, but you can do it. You can create a build that's like has a lot of damage over time and just melts all the enemies over time, you know, and, and there's a lot of things in there that I just thought were really entertaining and interesting. They're discoverable. They're things that people could find on a second playthrough. Um, you don't need it. You know, you know, I don't think you need it, but you can, um, but it's there. It's, it's there as a choice. And, um, and I like those kind of player choices. So I think a lot of that was, you know, there wasn't like an overarching, like, this is how it fits into the whole thing. It's more like, this is something I personally enjoy and I want to put it in the game. I think the first time I, I realized that was the, with the green magic, you know, sort of functioning as like the, you know, the the rapid fire SMG type weapon, where it's like, I didn't quite realize how uh, much of an impact, like the amount of bullets you could fire in a clip was really going to make that much of a difference. And then I picked one up that just, it felt like I was firing for 30 seconds like <laughs> I'm just walking around the arena and just the bullets never quite stop. And I I ended up kind of graduating out of that one and it didn't make sense for like the DPS to continue along that route with that one. But I always like looked back fondly on like the three hours that I had with this one where it was like, I'm just shooting like a Ghostbuster like laser stream <laughs> with this thing and melting anything that gets across me. Exactly. Like that, that's cool to me that you could, you could have that experience. Um, you could, you know, have like a, you could focus on red magic and have like a close range berserker, you know, character that's just doing shotgun blast kind of magic constantly. And it's pretty different. The gameplay is pretty different in that, um, that, you know, that is fun. Um, and it, it was fun to make like the combat team, really had a lot of fun, like coming up with all sorts of different builds and talents and weight and synergies and, and things like that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping people discover all that because, you know, there's a lot there that, uh, that we put in a lot of thought we put into it. Um, what, you know, I think, I think there is a, a legit criticism to say, well, like, you know, do you need it? Like what, it, you know, should, does a game really require it? And if it doesn't require it, why chase it and why go after it and everything? And I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I, I think I'm not sure what the answer is. You know, would the game have been better not having it or having that optionality in there and that expression in there? Does that make things deeper and more interesting? Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's an interesting design question. Well, I think like something I've enjoyed is the degree to which the character progression system sort of points you back towards different ways of interacting with the core combat systems of like, Hey, you could 
prioritize this and see how that see how that treats you. And that's been that's been nice. And also just a, a game where you can sort of because single player and there's no competitive balance to keep track of. It's just we can just push things to <laughs> absurd ends uh, and you can like have your hacky exploit build uh, that like completely meshes with what you want to do. And that's that's great. I am. I'm curious because um, I feel like with a lot of games coming from uh, major publishers and studios that work with the major publishers, like a lot of times the feeling I have is that past the launch window kind of doesn't matter what happens. Like the the fate's game is already decided. The, the game's fate is already decided by how the publisher feels the launch went and like no mercy or forgiveness, right? Like if this IP is dead, uh, you know, into, into the landfill with ET and that happens fast, uh, is, is my understanding of, of like the published world, which is always kind of demoralizing because it's not to say the game ceases to exist and you shouldn't tell people to go play it, but you often do have the understanding that like, Hey, you know, take two or whoever is not going to like, reconsider based on like this game having a nice long tail like the 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 story is done i am curious if the story could be different for a game like immortals you've mentioned now that you're hoping a lot of people give it a shot and it's still selling and i'm curious whether that's mostly because you're proud of the game and right like want people to play it or if you know because of the way you're situated there is a chance that like if this thing does find some sort of respectable audience that the story, the story can have a different ending in terms of how, like how immortals went. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I don't, I don't think the story is over with immortals. I think, uh, you know, I saw this happen. I think I mentioned this before. I, I saw this happen on dead space. It took a while, but it, it built, it, it, it built, built up over time. Um, there are enough, uh, you know, I've seen both anecdotally and online enough of a sort of fan base growing around this, that it's really encouraging to see something like that. Um, I think there are, you know, as far as the world of Avium, there are other areas to explore. And, you know, if, even if it's not a direct sequel, there could be something else there in that world. And with that, you know, with the things that make the, this game great, like the combat system. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, and we're also kind of in a weird position where um, sales are increasing, not decreasing over time. So that that's, you know, that's interesting. Um, I think, you know, as far as my own personal desires, I wanted to make a franchise and I wanted to make something that, that could be around for a very long time. And it's a world that I really care a lot about and characters that I really care a lot about. So, you know, if you ask me if I wanted to do another one, the answer is fuck yeah. I mean, I, I, I spent five years of my life on this. I put a lot of, you know, myself and a lot of passion and the whole team did put a lot of passion behind this. And, uh, and I love it. You know, I'm very proud of it. So um, that is, there's no question, you know, where my ultimate ambitions would lie. It might be 10 years from now. Who knows? It might be sooner than that. But um, like, 
world, the world of AVM is something that I, I'm very, very passionate about. Has, now that the game is in the world, you know, for the last six months, has there been anything particularly surprising about what people have responded to? You know, I'm sure you have your expectations of, oh, I, I think people are going to like this part or I, I'm excited for them to see this. And then, you know, you can be surprised by, huh? Well, people really latched onto this in a way that I wasn't really expecting. I'm, I wonder what you've been surprised by in terms of what people have reacted to in the game. Yeah. Um, well, I haven't had a moment like I had on Advanced Warfare where suddenly press F to pay respects was what everyone was talking about. <laughs> what, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and there are more, more stories about that than there were about the game. Um, so no, that hasn't happened. But um, the, yeah, I think, um, I think how like g- getting back to like the tone of the game and like how polarizing that is, that, that surprised me. Cause I thought like, you know, yeah, you put some jokes in or whatever, you know, yeah, you have a certain type uh, tone, like how much are people really going to like care one way or another? They're kind of here for, mm-hmm. they're here for the combat and the exploration and, and other things, but no, that's, it's like, it, it really mattered. Um, which is great. Cause like I, put a lot of effort into it. And my team did, but yeah, you got a reaction. Certainly it got I mean, a reaction. That's, that's, that's more than a lot of games get. Exactly. Got a reaction. That's cool. Um, and I think, yeah, so tone was a big one. I think, um, I think it surprised me. It has surprised me how much, um, people didn't know what to make of the game because to me it was, okay, this is like kind of a doom ish shooter with a bunch of exploration elements and some other things thrown in there. Um, yeah. The, like kind of what we talked about earlier, the sort of like, what is this game reaction was mm-hmm. surprising to me. Um, other than that, I mean, I've, I've but I mean, I, I guess I, 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 I didn't mean to convey necessarily things that you're surprised that people were negative about. I actually like what were things that people have like you know you've mentioned like sort of a fandom like people like what, what are I, I was thinking more in the sort of the positive realm of like things like oh wow like people have really latched on to this part of the world in a way that was not necessarily you know on my bingo card. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's always great to see what characters resonated. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think seeing how, like, uh, you know, Gina Torres's character, Kirkin got, you know, a lot, there's a lot of talk around her and a lot of fandom around her, which is awesome. She's awesome. She was great in the game. She was great to work with. Um, that is a pleasant surprise when a character really lands that you spend a lot of time on. Um, I think, uh, honestly, like making a great combat system is really, really hard to do. And the fact that the overwhelming response has been that the combat's really fun and that people have a great time with it, like that is huge to me. That's bigger than I expected. I thought it would be a piece of many pieces that would, you know, like the sum being greater, uh, the whole being greater than some of the parts, you know, like I, it was, it was a piece, but that has resonated so much. And that's really fucking hard to do <laughs> to make a good combat system and do something new. And so um, I'm really proud of that. And that like that on, on the positive side, how well that resonated and how well the, the world building has resonated because we spend a lot of time on that too. And that this is a world that people want to return to and, and are bought in on. Um, 
you know, that was really important to us. So yeah, those, those things, those things feel good, feel really good. Um, well, I think we, we've taken up a, a decent uh, chunk of your time. Is there, I don't know, is there anything else that you want to convey about the game, uh, to people like where also where can they check? Like you said, it's on sale now. Is the trial still available? Like where, where can you point people towards yeah. in terms of checking the game out? Yeah. The trial is, uh, available. It's, I think it's permanent actually. So you can always do a, f- a free trial of the game, uh, on, PlayStation and Xbox. And I think there's a free demo on steam as well. Um, there, I mean, I would just, you know, ask people to give it a shot. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really good game and it's something I'm really proud of and something I'm really passionate about. Um, it is different. And I think different is really, really important right now. I think we see a lot of the same and, uh, we tried something different and that's important. That's, that's huge. So, you know, we are, you know, as a studio, we, um, we have new projects we're lining up We're you know, um, we are you know, actively working on things that I'm, I can't talk about, but that are, are really cool. And, uh, you know, I think, I think we introduced ourselves to the world in a strong way. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for your time. It is uh, unusual to have uh, a developer that goes to the sort of tumultuous launch that you did in the the way that it did and to sit and chat with us about your feelings and thoughts and reactions to that. So, you know, on behalf of ourselves and the Remap audience, appreciate your time and your your honesty and being able to to talk to them. Because usually I feel like it's understandable that you want to just move on to the next thing, not not sit with that. And I'm sure you're doing both of those things. But uh, to be able to convey that to the audience, what it is like to, you know, have gone through these fa- these five years and what that means for the future. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us about it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. All right. Take care. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. Thank you.